Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. Cynthia Loren here with you. Today, I'm pleased to share with you a conversation I recently had with Vita Richardson, President and CEO of ACC, the Association of Corporate Counsel and Associate Professor at Georgetown University. Vita is a powerful voice in the legal profession and a force for positive change. In this interview, you'll hear Vita's story and just a few of the amazing accomplishments she's been a part of during her career, including being an advocate for better representation of women in the legal profession. Vita will also talk about her passion for mentoring young lawyers and how that passion and her experiences mentoring hundreds of lawyers over the years resulted in her publishing a best-selling book. Vita's been a huge inspiration to me, and it was a real thrill to have her as a guest on the show. So sit back, relax, and happy listening. So hi, Vita. Thanks so much for being with us on the show today. Could you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about the work you're doing at ACC? Hi, Cynthia. It's good to be here. My name is Vita Richardson. I'm president and CEO at the Association of Corporate Counsel. ACC is the world's uh, global association for in-house counsel. And how long have you been at ACC? I've been at ACC almost 12 years. It'll be 12 years this summer. Oh, wow. But it's a two-part question because before I came into bar association life, Way back when I started practicing law, I was an ACC member. So I feel as though I've grown up in the shadow of this organization my whole uh, career span. Yeah, absolutely. And and you've been CEO for how long, Vita? Uh, It'll be 12 years this July. You've held that role for 12 years. Yes. Okay, fantastic. Yes, as CEO. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that your work, I mean, obviously, you know, we've all heard about the amazing things that ACC does. We see the reports, the surveys, newsletters. Um, That's good. Thank you. (laughs) So um, I know that your work has been instrumental in advocating for better representation of women, specifically in the legal profession. Can you talk to us a bit about how you got started with that? What was your interest in law in the first place? Why have you been focused on gender representation, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, well, my interest in law came from when I was a kid and my father happened to be a small business owner. And so I grew up conscious of the different people who provided services to my dad, from lawyers to accountants to, you know, all all types of professionals. And um, from talking to him, my dad was the type that he wanted to steer us to law or to medicine. And I think I just took the bait. And when people used to ask me as a little kid, what do you want to do? And I would say I wanted to be a lawyer. You know, people would say, oh, look at her, little lawyer. And I got a lot of attention from saying that. And so it just became kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy where I kept saying I wanted to be a lawyer. I kept getting good reactions. I kept saying it again. And then when it was time to make career choices, I ended up choosing and pursuing a career in law. So my father was the biggest influence over that. 
Wow, that's amazing. And so, I mean, what, what for you is the highlight of being a lawyer? What's the best part of being a lawyer? Um, well, it's the impact that we can make on, you know, on organizations, on businesses, and on society. So the second part of your question, you know, ask me about uh, the things that I've been interested in and advocating for with respect to diversity in the profession. And yes, I'm really proud of the work in terms of advocating for inclusion of women, but I equally and just as um, aggressively advocate for the inclusion of people of color, uh, regardless of sexual orientation, uh, people with disabilities to have greater inclusion, more generational diversity, um, thinking about those multicultural issues. And so all of that work came from time that I spent before I joined ACC at Minority Corporate Council Association, where I was their executive director. And that's all we did. Um, we advocated and had initiatives and programs that would help organizations attract a more diverse workforce and be able to retain them and advance diverse groups of people. That's amazing, Vita. So the work that you were doing at MCCA, you've kind of transferred that over to, to stuff that you're doing with ACC. How have you made that happen? How have you made how have you well, it with an ACC? Uh, Cynthia, it's really been about values. Um, these are things that I believe. I believe that diverse workforces are higher performing, and there are certainly a lot of business school studies that back that up that have caused companies to understand that to do better in the multicultural global marketplaces where they wish to you know, provide products and services, that they need the perspective of you know, a variety of different type of people and backgrounds and perspectives in order to develop and effectively advance strategies. So because I was a believer of that, it wasn't just um, platitudes when I was at, or programs when I was at MCCA. Mm. When I came to ACC, one of the biggest challenges that our association had is that the board of directors had set its sights and the mission of the association had been shifting to want to be a global connector of in-house counsel around the world. Right. But for many years, the association was faltering in the ability to execute that goal. And my predecessor, Fred Krebs, is a mentor. He was really, really successful in a lot of ways, but he left me a little sliver of undone business um, <laughs> that it's been my joy to be able to take hold of in advance, and that is taking ACC from being a US-centric organization to being one that's more global in scope. So now we have employees that are outside the US, in the APAC region, as well as in Europe. We have members spanning more than 85 countries around the world, more than 10,000 unique organizations, and between 45 and 46,000 mm. um, members around the world. And none of that would have been possible if ACC had continued to do business the way that it always had, mm. which was um, not to think about the multicultural capacities of their employees, um, not to want to hire people who brought different language skills and cultural perspectives, um, you know, to uh, also how we outreach, you know, to people who are outside the United States and shifting how we look at content. Um, so our staff is extremely diverse, and we're very proud of that. I think more than 23 languages are spoken just within 
our team here at ACC. Wow. That's and when you look at our global board of directors, our board of directors span at least 10 different time zones. And, you know, and we have board members from all over the world. And it's that um, perspective, that, you know, diversity in all sorts of ways that have enabled ACC to excel and to be the market leader that we've become. Yeah, I mean, I have to say the outreach is phenomenal. I, like I said at the beginning, I see ACC on absolutely everything. Um, so, you know, congratulations on just the phenomenal work that you've done in growing it into a truly global organization. Well, thank you. Well, I guess you've heard. I'm. I don't know if you've heard. I'm going to be coming to Lagos oh. in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so, I hope that you know we'll have opportunities to get together there and. I'm going to be visiting with some of our members in Lagos. That is amazing news. So ACC comes to Africa. I love it. Yes. <laughs> That's great stuff. I'm, I know you must have a ton of sort of stories and experiences at ACC. Can you tell, give me maybe one um, of your favorite highlights um, in this role? Like what's the best part of your role or what's kind of been one of the best experiences that you've had doing this role? Gosh, so many good times at ACC. It has to be when we reopen post-pandemic. That has to be, you know, one of the highlights, you know, for us because, you know, we were all going like gangbusters and then the pandemic hit and shut us down. Mm. What I was proud of with our team is just how effectively people really dug in and got their jobs done in really challenging situations and our office environment, you know, our ability to connect together in person was shut down for about two years. And I know that we're not unusual that way. But during that time, we would come together for virtual coffees. So we were able to maintain through our online connections um, a strong sense of community and desire to support one another, both professionally as well as the challenges that we were going through all, you know, personally in our home lives. Um, but it was a great time when our employees voted um, that they wanted to come back on a hybrid basis. And we were all excited when we had to um, the opportunity to host our annual meeting for the first time in so long. So when I look back on highlights, it's like that meeting really stands out for me um, because we went through years where you know, you just really miss the personal connections. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I could definitely imagine how, um, you know, just how important that was, just the getting back together. And I think every workplace probably would resonate with that, absolutely. Vita, I know you talk a lot about the importance of getting having a seat at the table, and you actually have something called the Seat at the Table Initiative. Um, can you talk to us a bit about what that is and why you feel it's so important for... GC CLOs to have a direct line into um, CEOs and organizations? Yes. Well, thank you for asking about that. This is my favorite advocacy effort um, that we've undertaken at ACC. And I also think it's really important for business and for society at large. So back in 2018, we launched an effort called Seat at the Table. And it is all about the role and position of the general counsel in the C-suite and with respect to the board in the boardroom. And um, I, I think it, it's just the right time for organizations to be thinking about 
how can we make sure that we're getting the greatest value and receiving the greatest value from the general counsel in terms of all the business challenges that organizations are facing today. And so I, I liken it back to like the 08, 07, 09 timeframe when organizations were going through, you know, a big financial crisis. And at the time, the officer that emerged was the chief financial officer um, in terms of addressing those sorts of business challenges. But now we've moved long beyond that in terms of society. The biggest risks that organizations are facing are really around keeping your arms around increasing law and regulatory requirements that are becoming a lot more aggressive. Yeah. The possibility of significant fines, the fact that society has become a lot more litigious, so there are a lot more disputes to be managed. And then if you think about the geopolitical climate and some of the ethical challenges that companies have had culminating, you know, we I know that we like to wrap many of them under the mantra of ESG, mm-hmm. but really the chief legal officer is the best positioned officer in the C-suite to support the CEO regarding um, uh, meeting all of those types of challenges. And as a result, we've advocated for the position of the chief legal officer to be a direct report to the CEO, always involved in discussions of strategy with the uh, C-suite and the executive team, a position that is on par with the CFO, certainly never reporting that way. Right. Um, And then in addition to that, we believe that boards of directors really need the guidance and the input um, and for the chief legal officer to be in the boardroom as they are discussing strategies so that if there are concerns or um, or input that the CLO can offer from geopolitical or ethical um, sustainability has all sorts of reporting requirements now Mm -hmm. from a good governance perspective, they really need the chief legal officer in the room. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, it's interesting to me that as well as sort of focusing on driving this advocacy piece at the top end in terms of positioning uh, general counsel and CLO, you also work really closely with young lawyers. And I know one of your great passions is, you know, mentoring um, young lawyers. Um, and as part of that, you wrote a best-selling book, Take Six. I mean, I, you know, I've had a sneak peek of parts of the book. What inspired you to write the book and what are some of the key pieces of advice that you offer young lawyers, both in mentoring and also in the book that you've written? Just yesterday, in fact, Cynthia, was our last day of class at Georgetown Law School where I teach as an adjunct professor. So I just had the chance to wish this latest class well as they're about to graduate and move out into the profession. So from the time that I was even a young lawyer, I always have been one to help others, mentor others, share my experiences, because I believe that regardless of what stage you might be in your career, there's someone you can always reach back and offer a hand. If you're in law school, there's someone who aspires to go there. If you're a young lawyer, there's a law student who's going to need guidance to find a job. When you're a mid lawyer, there's a new lawyer, you know, so on up until you're more, um, I'll call myself a more seasoned lawyer. (laughs) Um, And then you have a lot more advice to be able to offer. So um, as I've spoken to different groups of students or been invited to student bodies to um, share tips on how to better manage your entry and 
and assent in the legal profession. I've had, I've heard myself always offering um, certain sets of advice. Mm -hmm. And the first one is about taking stock, really measuring where you are, clarifying where it is that you want to go. Take risk. Don't put your head down, always doing the same thing. Be open to new challenges, taking on things that feel risky for you. Uh, Learn how to take credit for your accomplishments without seeming braggadocious, but don't shrink from the spotlight. If someone tells you you've done a good job, don't deflect the attention away and, oh, it was nothing, as sometimes people do being so humble. Allow yourself to be thanked and also be able to take note and be able to speak to your accomplishments or how you helped produce a great result. Um, Take a hand. This is the most important one for me, that and take stock, which is all about being humble and knowing when you need to reach to someone else for help, as well as being generous to reach out your hand to someone else. And I believe that in life, if you tend to be a net giver, Mm -hmm. someone who's helping more than perhaps you're asking, it also helps you develop this fantastic muscle memory for solving problems because you've helped someone else figure out a career challenge. When you encounter shades of the same thing, I think we're more adept at being able to solve it. So take a hand is really important. Mm. Um, Take a stand is all about uh, standing up, um, you know, acting consistently with your values. Um, And at different points, we're all challenged uh, to be able to do that. And then the last one, take command, is recognizing that as you grow in the profession or or ask to manage and lead a project, we all have opportunities to lead. And we have to lead in our own sort of style, not necessarily trying to morph ourselves into what we believe is a little box of how a leader behaves. But we all have to bring our own um, authenticity. So it's take stock, take credit, take risk take a hand, take a stand, take command. And that's the advice that I've always given to students. And so when the pandemic hit, I just thought, now's the time to really write it down. Yeah, that's awesome. And how long did it take? How long was the writing process in terms of putting the book together? Oh, about six months. Um, And uh, I'm not shy about sharing that I took a hand. (laughs) I had a ghostwriter. And boy, was she terrific. Um, She was based in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm outside of Washington, D.C. So it was like my evening, her next day, early morning when we would have our conversations. So she would literally have coffee and talk to me and I could have a glass of wine and talk to her. So I was kind of winding down as she was winding up and we were really good writing partners. And um You know, so I I credit her really with helping me put it in paper. Yeah, well, I mean, congratulations. I know it's now uh, it's it's regarded as a best selling book. So that's, you know, that's a huge accomplishment. And it's it's great that you've kind of, you know, put that advice down so that we can all learn from it. I love the take a hand and take command. I think that's, you know, with my rather English accent, it doesn't sound quite as cool. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's all all great advice. Um, Vita, I know you spend a lot of time, you know, you talk to the universe, if you like, of, you know, lawyers from, you know, the most senior to the most junior. And I know that a lot of what you're doing is listening, you know, engaging with GCs. You're hearing all sorts of things from um, general counsels and CLOs um, 
across across the world effectively. Can you perhaps give us a bit of a taste as to what's keeping general councils up at night in, in this particular season of time? Like what's front of mind for DCs? Sure. And Cynthia, I'll tell you that what's really cool is that ACC annually conducts a chief legal officer survey. And we ask uh, chief legal officers, you know, what is keeping you up at night? And it comes out every January. So I have pretty current data, you know, about that. They tell us that cybersecurity, regulatory compliance, data privacy continue to be the top three most important issues to their business and that are very challenging. Um, They also project that getting their arms around some of the social uh, and workplace issues in the DEI space um, is also um, trending in terms of areas of focus and need for, uh, um, you know, more intentional um, thought and uh, follow through. Yeah. But, uh, Clearly, if you think about the top three, Mm -hmm. um, it's really about uh, the regulatory challenges around those areas and projecting that that environment is only going to get increasingly more challenging. Mm -hmm. And what do you see as being ACC's role in supporting um, GCs with with those challenges or, or broadly the legal industry with those challenges? Sure. Well, since ACC was founded, lawyers have wanted to uh, use ACC as a vehicle uh, for three things. They look to us for information, best practices, practical how-tos, to offer summaries regarding changes in laws and regulations. So we're an information provider, um, that information that helps them do their job or address those challenges a little bit more effectively and with knowledge. People come to us for education, so they want education training to stay top of game, you know, as uh, laws and and, and different issues tend to evolve. So training and education is the second area Mm -hmm. um, and ways that we serve our members. And then networking. People love to connect peer to peer. We have online uh, boards like social media type online boards where members can post questions to one another and ask, can anyone share you know, a policy or I have to do this type of guideline? Does anyone have a starting point that they would be willing to share? So um, people like to come together with their peers. Also now we're fortunate to be able to do so in person. So whether they're getting together, you know, just to network socially and provide career tips or guidance to one another, or it's getting together to talk around substantive issues and practice issues. Um, People like to convene and connect peer to peer with their um, counterparts around the world. Vita, I'd love to get your take on something that Pursuit is very focused on. We're very focused on driving alternative fee arrangements, trying to disrupt almost the legal industry by driving AFAs. And one of the, you know, one of the mantras that we drive is killing the billable hour. And this is not, this is nothing new. Um, People have been talking about killing the billable hour for a long time. I read something on LinkedIn this morning about um, the impact that chat GPT is having on this whole discourse around killing the billable hour. What's your take on the on killing the billable hour you know do you think it should be killed uh do you think it is dead you know where where are you at with with this whole conversation uh you know i'm gonna say that um as far as i I know that there have been all kinds of um efforts to kill the billable hour 
it seems to be kind of elusive, doesn't it? <laughs> and so um, I, I believe that there are a variety of different ways that legal services can um, be charged for. You know, you can do it on a flat fee basis. Uh, you can do it um, based upon carrots and incentives. Mm -hmm. I think it's a, a challenge in terms of killing the billable hour completely because oftentimes people use it as a measure of time. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And I mean, do you have a view as to the GCs that you're speaking to currently? Is that something that comes up? So is that, you know, is cost management, legal spend management, is that something that's front of mind um, in that list of, you know, DEI, regulatory, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, well, I think that in law departments especially, they're trying to be good contributors in terms of how they manage the corporate assets that are entrusted to them, people, technology, and finance in terms of budget. Mm -hmm. So certainly to the extent that they can find more creative ways or innovative ways to look at how they're charged for legal services or who mm -hmm. they're purchasing legal services from. And I mean that in the broader sense mm -hmm. because... Many organizations have adopted terrific legal ops functions that help them to take more business-minded approaches. And I think that that will continue to be a trend that we see in the in-house community and with general counsel because they're expected to uh, run the resources that are entrusted to them in a very responsible way and having their eye on return on investment. Um, one question that we always love to ask our guests on this podcast is, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? So I know you're only 26, but what advice would you give? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what, what advice would you give your younger self, Eta? Oh, I think I would tell her to slow down. Um, when, when I was 25, I was in quite the rush. So, you know, I was rushing to become a lawyer. So I didn't take time to smell the roses. I... Um, rushed through college. I did college in three years by, you know, going to school every summer to try to get a leg up and finish. And then I went straight to law school and tried to complete that as fast as I could and ran into practice. Um, my first job being as in-house counsel for an energy company. And I, I can remember like 10 years in waking up and saying like, why did I rush so fast? Like we all have such a long career path ahead of us that it's okay sometimes to slow down. If you'd slowed down, what do you think you would have done? What, what would you have liked to have done that you perhaps didn't back then? You know, I've always had an interest in art history. So at one point in time, I went back to school. I was at Howard pursuing a degree in art history, focusing on African-American art. Mm -hmm. um, I probably would have done a little bit more in the art world before I found my way back to law. Wow. Um, is there anything that you feel you've spent too much time worrying about in your career that, you know, looking back, it wasn't, it wasn't time that well spent? I don't know that if, well, you know, I've had big challenges that have caused me to wake up at night. Certainly when I went to my first uh, job as, as an executive director at my prior association, um, they were on the brink of bankruptcy like the the bills exceeded far um the amount of their intake so i inherited um quite a challenge so there were nights that i would wake up and worry were we going to be able to make payroll or how was i going to manage through that um 
certainly I wish I hadn't encountered that. <laughs> that was a lot of sleepless nights. But um, I don't know. I, I think I'm a very fortunate person. When I look back on my career, other than maybe telling myself you didn't have to rush as fast as you did, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pleased with the choices I've made. And I've certainly been um, fortunate to be able to work with such amazing people. Yeah. And um, so that's what I reflect on the most. Yeah, no, that's, it's awesome. Fantastic to hear. And my final question to you, Vita, what, what does the future hold both for you and for ACC? So, you know, what is the vision? Where do you see um, both yourself and the organization going? Yeah, well, we just launched a new strategic plan. We're focusing on how to be um, more technology enabled in service of our members. Mm -hmm. So we've really set the members as our North Star in terms of how they like content delivered to them, um, how we should be approaching changes to our service model. So that's what we're thinking about proactively. Um, I think that ACC is well positioned to uh, continue to serve uh, the general counsel market and members of the law department. And I mean that broadly to include the legal ops professionals, the lawyers and others. And so that's what, you know, we'll continue to be dedicated to doing. It's been 40 years for our association at this point. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that there will be a lot of challenges, but I think the future looks pretty good for ACC. Um, in terms of me personally, I, I'm sure the fact that I'm approaching the 12-year mark, I have a lot more years behind me at ACC than I probably have in front of me. And at some point, I'm sure that I'll uh, pick up some of the other interests that I have uh, in the art world or um, investing in children and education. That's a passion of mine, too, yeah. thinking about next generation. Um, and what's really beautiful, Cynthia, is that a lot of the people... Uh, the young people that I've invested in over the years are now all grown up, having families, doing amazing things as lawyers. And um, I'm looking forward to them being the next generation of general counsel. I mean, Vita, congratulations, you know, genuinely congratulations on all that you've achieved so far um, at ACC. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you. Um, Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we look forward to seeing much more from you um, as the years go on. Thank you, Vita. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.